Let's go ahead and look at Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 14. You're going to see in this passage uh, that there are a number of ways in which people will respond to Jesus. And it's true in the world that we live in today, right? That there are some in here this morning, and certainly some out there, that when they hear about who Jesus is, their response is kind of skeptical. There are others, though, some in here and some out there, that when they hear about who Jesus really is, their response is not skepticism, but it's not like they really have a problem with Jesus, but they're also not convinced that he's worthy of their complete worship. And so they're okay with Jesus. They might accept Jesus as a part of their life, but not really worship him as God. And there are yet others that we're going to see in this passage today. We're going to see one who recognizes and acknowledges Jesus' supreme worth and decides to worship him as God. And so that's what we're going to see in today's passage. And we're going to have to wrestle with that question ourselves. What do I believe about the worth of Jesus? Not just about who he is, but what do I believe about the worth of Jesus? That's what we're looking at today. So Mark chapter 14, we're going to go verses 1 through 11 today. If you're able to, would you stand as we read God's word? Mark 14 Verses 1 through 11. God's word says this. It was now two days before the over and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was that ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would be at work through the power of your Spirit, working through your Word this morning to do something in us that I can't accomplish alone with preaching. But your Spirit can soften our hearts, that wherever we're at today, whatever our response has been to Jesus so far, that you could could shape our hearts in such a way that we walk out of here desiring to acknowledge more and more the worth of Jesus and respond with sacrificial worship. May that happen in this place as we look at your word this morning by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I'm going to let you hear the buzzing instead of me. There you go. Turn it away. Um, All right, so here's where we're at. We're at uh, Mark 14, 1 through 11, and just a quick note on structure before we kind of jump into it, because you're going to see in the outline that we're not, we're going through every verse, but we're not going through them in order, and you're like, well, what's the deal? Why do we do that? One thing that we've noticed as we've gone through Mark, 
is that Mark often uses this literary technique known as sandwiching. Okay? So he doesn't always do things in exactly chronological order, but he'll put things in there so that, so that we see this kind of sandwich thing taking place. So we see a sandwich here in Mark chapter 14. Usually in the sandwich, the middle of the sandwich is the key by which you can understand better the things that are on both sides. So Mark 14 is going to be this chapter where we see a whole lot of betrayal taking place. But right in the middle of Mark chapter 14, there's this story of this woman who in Mark's gospel is unnamed. And so verses 1 to 2 and 10 to 11 are kind of like the, the, the sandwich bread, right? And so at the beginning, verses 1 and 2, we see, uh, well, we're going to talk about it here more in a little bit. We see events that are taking place on Wednesday, a couple of days before Good Friday. And then verses 10 to 11 take place sometime shortly after that. Okay? But what's happening in verses 3 through 9, that's more than likely happening on the actual Saturday before that. Um, we're not, not exactly sure. It seems as you read John's Gospel that that's when it's happening. Mark inserts it here, though, on purpose. He's trying to help us to understand how different people are responding to Jesus. We have some people at the beginning, the chief priests and the scribes, who want to see Jesus dead. Their response is very clearly to reject Jesus. How they're going to do that, that comes about by Judas, who's going to betray Jesus. That's kind of on either end of the sandwich. But right in the middle, we're going to see a couple of other responses. And so that's where we're kind of focusing today, is on all, all of those verses. But we're going to start with the beginning and the end, and then get to the middle at the end. Does that make sense? All right. So, the first part we're going to look at is we're going to see a failure to acknowledge the worth of Jesus. There are people in this story that are failing to acknowledge the worth of Jesus. We see that in verses 1 and 2. It's very easy to see here in verses 1 and 2. It's two days before the Passover. Okay, just so you get the setting. Two days before the Passover in the area of Jerusalem, people would have been coming from all over the place. The, the town is filled with people. We talked about that back in chapter 11 as Jesus comes in for the triumphal entry. The town has way more residents than it normally has throughout the rest of the year as many people come for the time of Passover to Jerusalem. So the town is bustling, filled with activity. It is two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes were at work, not just preparing for the Passover, but they were at work plotting the death of Jesus. But it says here, they were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. See, Jesus at this point, on Wednesday, still quite popular amongst the crowds. And so they were fearing doing anything very public with Jesus, but they did feel a threat coming from Jesus, and they wanted to see Jesus dead. And so they were figuring out a way to try and do it stealthily so that they could kill him and not cause an uproar amongst the people. The means by which they're going to be able to do that, we'll see in verses 10 to 11. It says this, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So right, they have this plan. They're trying to figure out how can we stealthily come in, arrest Jesus, and have him killed. And the means by which they're going to be able to do that shows up in verses 10 to 11. There's going to be an insider. 
one of Jesus' 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot, is going to plot together with them how he can betray him and they can accomplish their goal of seeing Jesus put to death. Very clear to see, if you read verses 11, that some people who fail to acknowledge the worth of Jesus outright reject him. And in, in this case, they're to the point that they want to see him dead. They are choosing not to acknowledge the worth of Jesus. But then, Mark is going to back. We're going to get uh, verses 3 through 9. Remember, he's going to take us back, uh, I think, a few days, probably to Saturday, it seems. And he's going to take us just outside of Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples during this week had been staying not right in Jerusalem, but at a little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany, just about two miles away. So they could easily go into Jerusalem during the day, but Jerusalem, again, remember, was filled with people, so they were staying Bethany. And we're going to see another response to Jesus in verses 4 to 5. But first, we've got to read verse 3. We're going to come back and look at 3 in more detail in a little bit. But verse 3 says this, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. You see the contrast between verses 1 and 2 and verse 3? 1 and 2, you've got these people that are rejecting Jesus and want to see him dead. And then the very next verse, verse 3, you hear of this woman, unnamed in Mark's gospel, this unnamed woman who recognizes the worth of Jesus and does the very opposite thing. They had this extreme reaction. They wanted to see Jesus dead. Her extreme reaction is, I'm going to break this alabaster flask of ointment and pour it over Jesus' head. Again, we're going to talk about that more in a little bit, but I want to see the response that the crowd gives to this. Look at verses 4 and 5. How does the crowd respond to that? Verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, okay, so you already, Mark's telling us what they were thinking. They said to themselves indignantly, why was that ointment wasted like that? Right? They're looking at that like, that's ridiculous. Why would she just do that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. They look at what this woman's doing, and they give a quick evaluation. They're saying, that's ridiculous. What is she thinking? They spoke indignantly, kind of shaking their heads like, what is, what is she thinking? Has she lost her mind? What's wrong with her? And they look, and you know what they see? They see the earthly value of that ointment. They make a quick assessment. They're looking at that, that jar that it was in and how much she poured out. So she breaks the jar, right? Pours it all out. They're looking at that. They're just doing quick calculations in their head. They're like, that's, that's probably 300 denarii. That's the real stuff. That's, that's pure nard. 300 denarii, that's a year's wages. Do you hear that? That's a year's wages wages that she just broke and poured out on his head a year's wait and they're looking at that like that's ridiculous and we could say oh come on why do they respond like that wouldn't you do that right i mean if you're there if you're putting this in our terms today average average median income here in iowa falls forty one thousand dollars somebody just takes forty one thousand dollars worth of something and just pours it out so it's gone in a moment 
you'd look at that too, like, oh, well, what a waste. Look what, and then, and, and to their credit, they're not saying, I wish I could, I mean, I could have used that for something. They're not being selfish. They're like, we could have done something for the poor with that, right? I mean, look at, look at, there's people that don't have food. There's, there's, there's poor people out there, and she just dumped this whole thing out. We could have sold it and given money to the poor, and so they scold this woman, Right? And the problem is not what they feel about the poor, right? I think God would commend their concern for the poor. All throughout Scripture, we see God having a heart for and compassion towards the poor. So the problem here is not that they love the poor and want to care for them in some way. That's not the problem. The problem is they are failing to recognize the supreme worth of Jesus. That's why they scold this woman. Because, because they get it a little bit, but they're failing to recognize the supreme worth of Jesus. And here's one thing you need to note, because we're going to see this as we go on in Mark chapter 14. Note this. Listen. If you're not convinced of the supreme worth of Jesus above everything else, that will lead to cowardly fleeing and betrayal when times get tough. We're going to see that happen in Mark chapter 14. If you are not convinced of the supreme worth of Jesus, then when times get tough, it's going to be easy for you to just run away. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of talk about why it is, how it is that we're losing a whole generation, that, that kids that are growing up in the church go off to college and they never even come back to church, they never come back to Jesus. We're losing this generation, people will say. And there's all sorts of answers if you say, well, why is that happening? There's a lot of different answers. A lot of them revolve around, well, youth ministry is too entertainment-driven, or youth ministry isn't fun enough, or different answers to that question. You know what I think the answer to that question is? You know why it is that people who grew up in a church hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, and now as they grow up, they're not even coming back to a church that preaches the gospel? They're not trusting. I think the biggest problem is, they have not yet acknowledged the supreme worth of Jesus. They've seen the worth of so many other things, and they're going after that because they don't really believe that Jesus is worthy of everything. That's what we're going to see happen later on in chapter 14, as many of these people flee when times start to get tough just a couple days later. But there's another response. So we've got kind of that, that cloudy middle response of, well, I get that, like, I'm going to be around Jesus. I'm not going to be one of those that's plotting his death. But I'm also not sure that he's worth that. A whole year's income, really, you'd pour that out on him. And then there's the other people, of course, that are rejecting Jesus. But there's one more response that I want us to focus on this morning. And that is the response we see of this unnamed woman in verse 3. And Jesus responds to that. So let's look at that. Acknowledging Jesus' worth. The woman's response is she's going to worship Jesus because she believes that he's worthy. We see that in verse 3. Verse 3 again says this, And while he was at Bethany, I want you to notice a couple of things about verse 3. Mark focuses a lot of times on the work of things that we would least expect outsider kind of things happening that, that we think that if anybody's going to understand who's Jesus and what's he actually worth, it's going to be the disciples, those that are closest to him. That's not going to be the case. 
In fact, there's a lot of surprises here in verse 3. One is that it's not happening in Jerusalem. It's happening just outside of Jerusalem in Bethany. The other is where it's happening. Look where they're at. In the house of Simon the leper. Now, now, now everybody can be quite confident. Everybody who studies Scripture can say, well, he's probably a former leper. He's still known as Simon the leper. But all these Jewish people wouldn't gather in the house of a, somebody who is still leper. So this is probably somebody that Jesus had healed at some point. And all these people are gathered together in the house of Simon the leper, just outside of Jerusalem, reclining at a table. And, and the example that's being held up here for us is not the men who everybody would expect, but it's this unnamed woman. She's the one. She's the one in this whole passage. It's this one unnamed woman who gets it. She gets who Jesus is. And her response to understanding who Jesus is, her response is to take an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Nard was this, this, uh, this um, comes from an Indian plant, an herb, uh, and it's, its root. And to have pure nard would have been, extre- like, like the, the people recognized, very, very costly. And more than likely, uh, this, this lady who um, is named in other Gospels to be Mary, uh, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, um, that, that, that more than likely, this was probably a family heirloom. They probably didn't have the kind of money where they just had that kind of money to just shell out. for. So this was probably in an alabaster flask as a family heirloom with, with a lot of value both monetarily and probably for the family as well. And so she takes this, and it says that she broke it. Not, not, not pouring a little bit out over his head. This stuff would have been very costly. Even if she just poured a little bit out, that would have been shocking to people. But she breaks the whole jar. There's no getting it back now. The jar is broken, and all of it is poured out on the head of Jesus. Quite incredible, the sacrificial act of worship that we see from this unnamed woman. So in verses 4 to 5, there's, there's two groups of people looking at this same event. The event is this woman sacrificially wor- worshiping Jesus. One group of people looks at that and they evaluate and they condemn. They scold that woman. What were you thinking? You could have given that money to the poor. But there's one other evaluation that's taking place. And Jesus doesn't evaluate and condemn. Jesus evaluates and commends. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. What does Jesus think of what this lady has done? Verse 6, But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She's done a beautiful thing. They were looking at it. They say, She's done a wasteful thing. Jesus looks at what they saw as waste, and he says, She's done a beautiful thing. Because Jesus was seeing much more than the earthly value of things that those around him were seeing. And then verse 7 says this, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. One thing to note here, it's not that Jesus is saying poverty is not important, right? He's not saying caring for the poor is not important. He's not saying you're always going to have the poor with you, therefore don't do anything about it. Just let them go. Let them be hungry. You're always going to have, that's not what Jesus says. Not at all. He says, you'll always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. 
You ought to do something about that. But, he says, you're not always going to have me with you. There's something more important than caring for the poor, and that is responding to Jesus, recognizing his worth and worshiping him. Verse 8, verse 8 says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Remember all through the Gospel of Mark, towards the end, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the fact that he's going to be put to death and buried. And now again, he's reminding them, listen, what she's doing, she's preparing me for burial. I'm going to die. Preparing me for burial. And then verse 9. I like verse 9. It says this. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the last time Jesus is going to use the word gospel in the gospel of Mark. He's saying, wherever in the world the gospel is proclaimed, what she has done will be told. Because what she has done is she has Worship Jesus sacrificially because she understood his supreme worth. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that all nations might know of the supreme worth of Jesus and respond to him with sacrificial worship. Right? That's what we want. We want people in all nations to know Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, this lady, she gets it. There's a lot of people in this time that don't get it, but this lady, she gets it. This lady gets who I really am, what I'm really worth, and so she is willing to pour out everything for me. I like that. That's what the world needs. We would become a church filled with even those that, that people would least expect. Not just, not just the pastor guy, not just some people that are leaders in the church, but people like this unnamed woman in the Gospel of Mark, people who would get it, kids who would get it, kids in elementary school who would, through hearing the the teaching that they're getting in Sunday school, through hearing the teaching that they're hearing in their homes from their parents, through sitting in a worship service and hearing about Jesus, that God would well up in little kids, those that we least expect it to come from, that he would well up in little kids that would understand the ultimate and supreme worth of Jesus. And they would find ways in their little lives to sacrificially worship Him. That we would become a church all throughout this church who would recognize people. Jesus and worship Him. And as we worship Him, that would become a testimony to those who don't yet trust in the supreme worth of Jesus. I would love to see that happen in our church. But that happens as individuals make that response. Make that decision to respond. How am I going to respond to Jesus? If you come here long enough, you're going to hear, I hope, a pretty clear picture of this is who Jesus is. That's why we're going through the Gospel of Mark. We're going to tell you this is who Jesus is. And we're going to ask you, do you trust in his complete authority and will you follow him immediately? Our response to Jesus matters. This passage, it's not just telling us what happened one time a long time ago. This passage is personal. It forces us, it pushes us to to say, where do I fit in this? What's my response to Jesus, Ben? Which one of these people am I? Am I response number one? Are there people that I'm trying to reach that are responding like response number one, and that is to fully reject Jesus? That's one potential response. Some people are very skeptical They choose to reject Jesus. There's fear, there's doubt, there's bitterness, whatever it is. Something's causing them 
to fully reject Jesus. This can come from people who are on the outside or people maybe who have been always a part of the inside of the church and they're just processing this like, I don't get this. I don't, I don't think that he is who he says he is and they just outright reject him. But we need to hear this. A choice to reject Jesus ends in judgment. Listen to what Jesus says in John 12. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And in John 3, 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If it is your choice in life to reject Jesus, there will be judgment. Many are choosing to respond in this way. There's another way. It's the way of that we see illustrated in verses 4 and 5. And that is you can partially acknowledge Jesus. Kind of like that cloudy middle position. People that, that aren't so bold. Maybe, maybe people that don't really have a problem with Jesus. Maybe this is you today. You don't really have a problem with Jesus. You're not skeptical. You don't have a bunch of... Are you like, I'm fine with Jesus. Jesus is okay with me, you might be saying. Right? You've heard about Jesus. You, you're fine. If he, if he really did live, he really did die, he really did rise again, that's fine. And maybe you're even fine with Jesus being a part of your life. You come to church when you can. You'll sing along sometimes. You read your Bible. You pray. But sometimes you wonder if that guy that's preaching up there is maybe a little bit of a religious fanatic. Like he's getting a little too excited about Jesus. And all these other people, they're kind of really into Jesus. I'm into Jesus. I'm just okay with Jesus. You're partially acknowledging him. You're not convinced yet worth of Jesus because you're more convinced of some great worth of many lesser things. So this shows itself in a number of different ways. You're not convinced of the, the, the supreme worth of Jesus, and so, so you don't worship him sacrificially. When it comes to your money, like the offering plate goes, you might put something in there, but it might be small because you're not sure that you want to spend a bunch of your hard-earned money so that more and more people throughout the world can hear of the supreme worth of Jesus. You're not sure that that's worth a sacrifice on your part because you're not yet convinced of the supreme worth of Jesus. Whole churches and denominations are falling into this pit of partially acknowledging Jesus. I'm concerned about this. There are whole churches and denominations that are focusing less and less on the supreme and infinite worth of Jesus and focusing more and more on all sorts of other things that are important, but not the most important. And so there are a number of churches and even whole denominations that are turning into little more than semi-religious social clubs that have programs to help other people. We need programs to help other people. But we are totally missing the point if we as a church are not celebrating the infinite and supreme worth of Jesus and making that being what we're all about. And everything else flows out of that. If we get the order wrong, we're messed up. 
Jesus says the first and most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 10, Jesus has some hard words. For those of you that maybe find yourself in the cloudy middle, you need to hear this. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In the end, those who choose to just kind of keep Jesus at arm's length, allowing him to maybe be a part of their lives, but never, never fully receiving him as Savior and Lord, the end result for them, there, there's a end result. And for those who don't trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, submitting their lives to Him, who just kind of want to remain in the cloudy middle, the end is the same for the, as for those who reject Jesus. See, God is not looking for a casual head nod of approval. Like, yep, that's okay. That's not what He's looking for. He's looking for people who trust in Him alone and worship Him alone and obey Him as Lord. And so in Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? But then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then Jesus' warning in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus issues a warning to a watered-down church. And in Revelation 3.16, Jesus says this, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Riding the fence, being in the cloudy middle is not a place you want to be for long. If that's where you're at, I plead with you to examine your heart and respond to Jesus in faith. Repentance and faith. Because there are others out there. That's the final one. There's others out there who get it. Like this unnamed woman in the Gospel of Mark. She gets it. She can't seem to get enough of Jesus. Whatever it takes, she's going to worship Him. And you might know people like that. People who sing like they really mean the words that they're singing. When we sang those great songs that we were singing before, maybe they were sitting by you. And they were singing them out because they really believe it. They really believe in the goodness and greatness of our God, and they want to worship Him, even if they're not very good at singing. Maybe you heard that as you were hearing them sing too. But they were belting it out because they really believed it. People, people that pray, and when they pray, it sounds like they actually know Jesus. People that talk with others, and every time they talk with others, Jesus seems to come up because they can't get enough Jesus. People who sit under preaching and teaching and take notes, and they study on their own. They pray a lot on their own. They pray together with God's people. That's what I want our church to become. That's what I want to become. More and more, I want to be convinced of the supreme and infinite worth of Jesus. So that starts to motivate and shape everything else in my life. I'm going to close by reading a little bit of Philippians chapter 3. I have this poster on my wall in my office that has this passage, because I need to be reminded of it so often. The song that we're going to sing at the end has, has, takes a lot of words right out of this passage. But in Philippians chapter 3, 
Paul is evaluating his own life. And he's looking at everything that he's accomplished, everything in his life that would be very valuable to lots of other people. And his response to all of that is this. And this is what I want our church to be. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Then he goes on and says some great things. But that's what I want a church to be all about, that we can look at everything else. And it's not like we're not engaged in the world or not engaged in everything else, but we look at everything else and our response to everything else is, I consider that all a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of just knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's where this unnamed woman in Mark, that's where she was at. It doesn't matter. I don't care if it took, if this is a family heirloom, if this took a year's worth of wages to earn this much. Jesus is so worth it that I will break this and pour it over his head. So it's gone like that because he's worthy. Whatever it takes, he's worthy. And I want to worship him with all that I am. Let's pray. Father, would you make us that kind of church? Would you make us a church that is so convinced, so convinced of the supreme worth of Jesus? It's not a popular message. I recognize that. It's not natural for our hearts to go that direction. I recognize that. It's not natural for my heart to go that direction. There's so many other things that I like to ascribe value to, and I sacrifice myself for so many lesser things. But God, would you convince me more and more? Would you convince the people of this church more and more to respond to Jesus in faith, trusting that that because of who he says he is, that he is worthy of sacrificial worship because his his worth is infinite. God, I pray for those that might be in here this morning that they're either up to this point, have chosen to fully reject Jesus or kind of sitting somewhere in the cloudy middle. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to realize that this is a more important decision than anything else they've had to make in their life ever. So that their response would be to, 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 to wrestle with these things, to wrestle with what's going on in their heart regarding their response to Jesus. And I pray that they would make the decision to trust in Jesus and worship him because he is worthy of it, that they would receive him as Lord and Savior and worship him the rest of their days. God, we need you to do that. We believe that Jesus is, is better than anything. So God, I pray that even as we sing these songs, that this might become a prayer on our lips from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.